0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue our reflections into this topic of uh, special subject matter right, an evening that is devoted and tailored to your questions. I want to jump right into our subject matter because this is subject matter that I have a lot to say about. (laughs) It is subject matter that I took up in my book, A Heart for Evangelizing, and it is tied to adoration. The question is this, where is adoration of the Blessed Sacrament found in the Bible, and what other specifics should I be present to while being in adoration? So I'm going to respond to that question as it relates to Sacred Scripture, and then just kind of draw from my own book and some of the things I said there, as it speaks more deeply uh, to your question. And so with that, I think the best place to go is to read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. I'll read that again. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So here you have Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica about the importance of staying firm and steadfast to just not what was given to them by way of letter, but also by word of mouth, right? Also by word of mouth. Something we have to appreciate here is that from the death of Christ to the first written letter, what do you have? But 20 years of a sacramental saving church, huh? And I highlight this because it puts a spotlight on what but sacred tradition, which are those oral truths that were being handed on, What did Jesus say? Write this? No, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. When he instituted the Eucharist, he gave them essentially their second commandment. The first commandment was to love God and to love neighbor as yourself. The second was to what, but do this in remembrance of me. And that's what the apostles did. They celebrated the Eucharist. So what was the the third commandment? Go therefore, baptize, and teach. So he still didn't yet talk about writing but baptize teach sacramentalize and catechize this is what the early church was about and oh by the way <laughs> in time yeah the holy spirit did inspire the evangelists to write to these particular churches to bring them into the fold to help them better understand the message of jesus christ and divine revelation so the question where is adoration of the blessed sacrament found in the bible must always be open to the reality of sacred tradition as the Bible itself testifies to what sacred tradition is all about. Now, that being said, what we can say about the Bible, as the Bible and sacred scripture is one of those towering modes of uh, divine revelation, is that we can find every truth, at least in seed form, in the Bible, if not uh, more explicitly. So, let us go to some passages here, that might highlight what I'm talking about. How about John 6, where the presence of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament is certainly being taught. We're going to get to that in a bit. We see the giving of adoration to the presence of God, Moses, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, and of course to Jesus Christ, right? Mary, the sister of Martha, Peter, James, and John at the Transfiguration. Are all adoring our Lord in sacred scripture. Not to mention, my friends, our Lord's own question to the apostles in Gethsemane Could you not watch one hour? Could you not be with me for one hour? A point that we will explore here later, as I think it it applies directly to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Now, as it relates to John 6, something we have certainly touched upon before on more than one occasion. But something we should go back to is what he makes clear, that he is in the Eucharist the presence of God, that he is the bread of life. (laughs) And that bread of life is to be just not consumed, but also adored. So let us go back here ever so briefly to the Eucharistic discourse in John chapter 6, the bread of life discourse as it has also been called. So up to verse 54, John employed the Greek estio, which is the more common Greek for eating. But in verse 54, he uses the term trogo, which literally means to chew or gnaw, specifically to chew or gnaw on animal stock such as mules, pigs, cattle, and so on. Recall that John has already set up his gospel to focus in on Christ as the Lamb of God, We read that in John chapter 1, verse 29, and John chapter 1, verse 36. Strategically, I think, really, John wants us to see that Christ is the new Passover lamb, that we are to literally consume so as to be in in covenant communion with him as the consecrated host does, in fact, possess the fullness of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, if you are to question whether or not Jesus intended to mean that he was literally to be eaten, that his flesh and blood was literally to be consumed. Go to John chapter 6 verse 60. There we read this, many of his disciples when they heard it said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father and we read in verse 66 after this many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him Uh, my dear friends if in fact jesus was just speaking symbolically as it relates to the consuming of his flesh and blood do you think that the disciples those who already saw so many miracles those who ate with him, those who traveled with him, would leave him? Of course not. Logically, that does not make sense. What Jesus Christ is saying is that, yes, he is truly present in that consecrated host. He is the presence of God. And when he is instituting the Eucharist in the upper room, he is doing so as both high priest and lamb of God. With this in mind, It has been said more specifically to Eucharistic adoration that Eucharistic adoration is an extension of the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament at the consecration when the priest holds it up for all to see. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, the priest can't stand there for hours and hours holding the Blessed Sacrament for us, right? So what does he do? He puts it in a monstrance where we can adore our lord and spend time with him adoration is that gaze what do we read in psalm chapter 62 so i gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory words oh by the way that we read as what but part of the liturgy of the hours right every sunday and and every solemnity so as it stands my friends to talk about the eucharist specifically to adoration The Catechism defines adoration as that first act of the virtue of religion. Now, why would it speak to adoration as such? Well, because, my dear friends, religion is more than just some sociological or psychological sentiment. But the offering of praise and glory to God and thanksgiving for all that He has done for us, right? To adore God is to acknowledge God as Creator, is to acknowledge God as Savior, is to acknowledge God as Lord and Master of all that was, is, and ultimately will be, right? It is to recognize and always assume that humble disposition before the greatness of his infinite mercy and love. What about the word itself? Uh, The term adore uh, comes from the Latin adore, which literally means to speak too formally. Beseech, ask in prayer. The word is derived from the compound adora, which literally means to the mouth. Therefore, to adore is what to be mouth to mouth with God, properly aligned to the divine source, breathing in God's life, as Bishop Baron once said. This intimate kiss, as Benedict the Sixteenth claimed, this tender kiss, mouth to mouth. So. Adoration is never to be seen as some ancient ritual, but a concrete act of prayer and worship that draws us into the very life of God and the Holy Spirit, to worship. Uh, Benedict XVI, as then Cardinal Ratzinger, reminds us that worship gives us a share in heaven's mode of existence in the world of God and allows light to fall down from the divine world into ours. So at its center, this mode of worship is the liturgy, of course. But what we are made to see, my friends, is that this includes adoration. As John Paul II said it, Jesus awaits us in the sacrament of love where our adoration should never cease. Do we see adoration as a gift where we find ourselves wanting to adore? If not, we should probably ask the question, Oh, what is it that gets in the way? I would argue time and how we selfishly think about time. You have heard me speak to how we think about time, that we have over 1,400 minutes every day given to us, granted to us, for us to use at our disposal. 1,440 minutes every single day We sleep away approximately seven hours of that every day, which leaves us with what? A thousand minutes roughly every day. What are we doing with those minutes? Here, we ought to ask the question, and maybe I should say questions, are we spending an overabundance of time Facebooking, tweeting, texting, Instagramming, or just mindless activity before a computer screen? As I noted in my book, One study showed that teenagers spend over six hours a day texting. Think about that. Six hours a day texting. But before you point the finger at all the teenagers you know, do not be mistaken. (laughs) This question has to be taken up seriously by all Christians. Because if it's not texting, maybe it's Facebooking. If it's not Facebooking, maybe it's just that mindless activity, reading something that has no real relevance to who we are and where we are going in a relationship with God. And I'm looking directly into the mirror on this one as well. While we often tie idolatry to persons, uh, hobbies, we have to remember that idolatry also involves things such as power, prestige, and pleasure, and just the mere thinking of how to become more powerful or, or how to achieve a, a greater status or how to enjoy more pleasure can eat up so much time. Collectively, my friends, it is important for us to be mindful of how any excessive attachment can lead us away from spending time with God and more specifically, time before the blessed sacrament. So yeah, While we are called to offer up prayers of praise, petition, and thanksgiving, as the catechism reminds us and as we find in sacred scripture, what do we also see but adoration, that contemplative gaze, that unspoken language of prayer. And, you know, while language and And the unspoken word are not always seen to be compatible. The reality is that they are in fact intended to reveal something about the nature of love that binds. Should it not? How can we not be moved with love when we gaze upon the God of history who is enthroned body, blood, soul, and divinity under the species of the host? He could have had it any way he wants and yet he assumes the identity of absolute Humility. We adore on bended knee because the great teacher wishes to teach us that ultimately in humility, we discover the greatness of who he is. Because as Jesus himself said, humility is greatness. Now, for purposes of clarity on the matter of adoring our beloved, this is where I often go to my own courtship with my wife Now, I have found that adoring her beauty, who she is, is a very real and powerful way of both just not getting to know her, but even, I dare say, at the same time, falling more in love with her. And this is not something passive, but active. Often in the aftermath of adoring my wife, I find that I discover all the more how she is that unrepeatable gift to me, And out from that, I am often charged with a certain energy to love her even more in everything and everywhere. Similarly, and and we could even say even more so, are we to love Christ, love Christ with an energy and a passion that has us going deeper into the inexhaustible reality that is the contemplative gaze. St. John Vianney put it well, in contemplation, I look at him and he looks back at me. I look at him and he looks back at me. And that is a very fitting phrase because when you get into the word contemplation, what does that word mean? Contemplatio. It literally translates as the act of looking at. (laughs) The act of looking at. This is why contemplation and adoration is really the glove ball fit. The act of looking at. Looking at what? What? Well, what is the root there? Templum. That's where we get the word temple. What does temple mean? That which is sacred. So contemplation is the act of looking at that which is sacred. I look at him and he looks back at me. We should see our spouses, oh, by the way, as sacred. Sacred vessels that God created in his image and likeness. And as we do, I think we would further our own contemplation in relation to God. Our reflection on contemplation and and adoring should include uh, a rekindling of what it means to be quiet, right? If we are to ever get beyond the noise that surrounds us everywhere we go, we have to enter into that classroom of silence and allow God to meet us in the stillness of our hearts. I mean, think about it. Who turns up the volume setting when we want to listen to something someone has to share with us. So why do we do this with God? Now, by noise, I do not intend to reduce this reflection to what is exclusively audible. What do I mean there? Well, there is often a lot of interior chatter provoked by a restlessness of the heart that is unseen by all. This might be provoked by any number of things. A broken relationship, a difficulty at work, Whatever it is that is drowning out the silence in your hearts, brothers and sisters, we can help ourselves here by going before the Lord in the blessed sacrament and turning over to Him all of those unsettled chambers of our heart. We need to be able to turn down that interior volume setting to enter more deeply into our contemplation as we are a people that are constantly on the go Sometimes, if not all the time, quieting down is nothing more than slowing down. We ought to avoid that demon of busyness that raises the volume setting. (laughs) Paradoxically, if prayer were ever to shout, it would probably shout, quiet, quiet, because that is where God meets us. He meets us in the silence. Okay. Inherent in this question, as it was originally posed to me, is what should our time before the Blessed Sacrament look like? Well, here I I put this in the context of Holy Hours, something, again, that I spoke to in my book. As I myself have been asked on more than one occasion, what should our Holy Hours look like? (laughs) I also get asked the question, in relationship to our Holy Hours, what should we read? Well, In responding to to both these questions, we must always remember that first prayer is what but conversation with God. While reading, as some spend their whole hour reading, can be a form of prayer, typically our spiritual reading is about Jesus, which does not always have us talking directly to Jesus. You see where I'm going with this? Adoration must begin with the language of courtship. Talk to Jesus whether it is audible or silent, we must allow the words that pour forth from our mind and heart to invoke a sense of moving towards Christ and in Christ. And certainly, this moving towards Christ should always include uh, that contemplative gaze. What's more, as it relates to our holy hours here, certainly in meditating upon the life of Christ with those traditional devotional prayers, the rosary, the chaplet, and so on. I mean, it has worked for two millennia, so why change that? Now, in addition to contemplation and to some degree meditation, spiritual directors have also encouraged journaling. I myself have not only encouraged journaling, but I like to journal. This can be a powerful medium of prayer coming out of our conversation with God, coming out of our contemplation of God, coming out of our reflection of Jesus Christ and on Jesus Christ. There is something marvelous that can happen in our faith walk when we read about something God has done for us years after the fact. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but if you are someone who journals, maybe you are someone who has read something that you had written 15 years ago, 20 years ago, about how Jesus Christ was working in your life. And and maybe you, you read it today because Jesus wanted you to read that one specific thing, to remind you of what he did for you 15 or 20 years ago. This is how God works providentially. And so certainly I cannot think of a better place to go in our journaling, in our writing to God and about God than before the Blessed Sacrament. I know the great Archbishop Fulton Sheen used to talk about this. This is what he did he actually would prepare his talks before the blessed sacrament i try to do that from time to time and yeah i mean in the end if the holy spirit gives us permission then as i was talking earlier about spiritual reading read but but remember (laughs) if it's spiritual reading then it should be spiritual right it should be about jesus christ not some religious commentary on the latest uh, politician that's not spiritual reading That's not the kind of reading that you should take before the Blessed Sacrament. That's not the kind of reading that's going to have you drawing closer to Jesus Christ. In the end, my friends, as it relates to the Holy Hour, when we are done with our Holy Hours, we should be closer to the heart of Christ and renewed in our relationship with Christ. All throughout the world, there has been an increase in our churches with perpetual adoration chapels a real sign, I think, of the springtime of renewal in the church today. I I think I saw a 500% increase in perpetual adoration chapels over the last 10 years. What does that mean? That means that someone is adoring Jesus Christ in the blessed sacrament around the clock, 24-7, 365. And just by way of footnote, if you belong to a church That does not have a perpetual adoration chapel, you might be called to initiate such an apostolate. I might encourage you to do so. Uh, And again, as I hinted at earlier, (laughs) before I wrap up this response to your question, and more collectively this reflection, remember what our Lord said in the agony in the garden. Would you not stay with me for just one hour? Earlier, I was talking about the 1,440 minutes in a day, and after we're done sleeping, the approximate, what, thousand minutes we have in a day. What I'm talking about as it relates to the hour is one hour a week. Can we find 60 minutes to spend before our Lord exposed in the Blessed Sacrament? I mean, what is that percentage? 60 of 7,000. I don't have the math on my fingertips, but it is a very, very small percentage, a percentage that we should be thinking about because it is a percentage that we should multiply exponentially. It should be more than 60 minutes in reality. It should be 100, 200, because what are we talking about but our relationship with Jesus Christ? So important. Mother Teresa once said, if every Christian spent at least one hour a week before the blessed sacrament abortion would end i believe her that's the power of prayer what does james chapter 5 say the righteous soul the, the 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 holy soul when he prays when she prays that's effective prayer pray for the grace of righteousness pray for the grace of holiness and be an instrument of prayer there's great power in prayer benedict XVI said go to the blessed sacrament and let god surprise you we love surprises i think to some degree in the world we live in surprises have been kind of taken away from us what do i mean well <laughs> when do we receive gifts but on birthdays on anniversaries on christmas right we expect gifts When was the last time you received a gift that wasn't expected? And yet we love surprises. We love surprises. You've heard me share the story before of the couple that had been married for 75 years when they were asked, how did they do it? The elderly man in his early 90s says, she surprises me every day. Go to the blessed sacrament. Let your beloved surprise you. Amen.